0: following message is presented by fellowship bible church from its weekly pulpit ministry we offer an expositional study through entire books of the bible one verse paragraph or chapter at a time we pray that you'll be blessed by listening in thanks for visiting well, welcome this evening thank you for those who are here for your prayers joining in in that way and i hope that our time now in the word is profitable pleasing to the lord and edifying to ourselves and for those who are just joining us online now we welcome you If you're watching it live or perhaps uh, sometime down the road, uh, I encourage you to perhaps go back and watch some of the previous uh, Bible studies in the book of Ruth and get yourself caught up to where we're at. But I invite you now, in the present time, to open to the book of Ruth. If you got to uh, 1 Samuel, you've gone too far. If you land yourself in Judges, well, you're in the right time frame of the events of Ruth, but... Still not far enough along in your Bible there, so turn to Ruth. Chapter 4 is where we will pick up this evening, although we'll do a little bit more review this evening because of uh, the context and where we'll land primarily this evening, which is the response of the potential kinsman-redeemer to Ruth and Naomi and the reason why he gives the response that he does. So uh, we'll really begin back in Chapter 3 where we see the promise of redeeming. That is Ruth, redeeming Ruth. And we see this in chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And we're not going to read the whole uh, passage, that passage at the moment, but hopefully uh, you can recall in your minds kind of the the, uh, unfolding of the events there where uh, Ruth, at the advice of Naomi, her mother-in-law, has gone to the threshing floor where Boaz is residing the evening after a day's labor there, or an evening's labor, that is. And uh, we saw, we said that there's a potential for disaster there, because her nonverbal gestures could have been misinterpreted, to be provocative, or sensual or, or in understanding, and so there is much that could have happened there that could be disastrous, both to Ruth and also to the uh, to Boaz's own standing in the community. But of course, as we read and saw that. Uh, Ruth's act, or acts of, uh, or that gesture that she she did, is not to be interpreted in, in any kind of seductive sense. Rather, she is using kind of in an, an illustrative way an action uh, to to help uh, Boaz understand her desire for him to cover him cover her with her his wings, so to speak. In other words, to to take her, that is Ruth, under his wing through protection and security and provision that only could be accomplished through marriage. Now, we see that Boaz does interpret Ruth's acts appropriately as she and Naomi had hoped. In fact, we see in these verses he is amazed at the loyalty Ruth is displaying in her gesture and in her asking or proposal to Boaz to to marry her. Ruth could have gone and found herself a younger man who was perhaps unrelated to the family of Elimelech. That would have been appropriate for her to do. She was free to do that. Perhaps someone who was closer to her age. We can assume Boaz was somewhat older than her by a few years, of course, perhaps, or even 10 or 12, and perhaps someone that was just more handsome. Of course, we don't know what Boaz looked like, but... uh, Presumably, someone younger might be more uh, attractive in her sight. However, Boaz points out that she uh, had not done this, of course, uh, but rather she was demonstrating her loyalty to Naomi, which she had oathed to do, taken an oath to do, by looking to be married to a kinsman redeemer. And in doing so, she was demonstrating great loyalty to Naomi. Now, his praise of this act is followed by a promise to do all that she has asked of him. Look with me at verse 11 of chapter 3. He says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, Boaz could potentially have been looked down upon for marrying a Moabite woman, had she acted like a Moabitess in conduct and character. But Ruth has demonstrated throughout the book of Ruth that she was truly a part of the Israelite Jewish community. And this was seen by her remarkable character, known by those in the community. The kind of virtuous woman or that that kind of woman is also described in Proverbs chapter 12 and even more well known in Proverbs chapter 31. So there was no concern, we see then, on Boaz's part to fulfill her request. He would not be marrying an immoral or idolatrous or contentious woman. Ruth was known to be a woman of noble character. Now, as we continue to look through the rest of this passage, specifically 10 through 18, we see that Boaz is determined to settle the matter as soon as possible. After encouraging her, instructing her to stay the night, uh, she does so and then leaves early in the morning before anyone could see another person so as to not uh, cause any potential uh, gossip as if uh, something Uh, immoral had gone on between the two over the evening. She goes her way and he gives her uh, a good measure of food to take back to her mother-in-law. And then he says, uh, or before that, he says uh, in verse 12, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Stay this night in the morning. It shall be that if he will perform, notice the morning. So he was going to go about this very soon, as soon as he could, The next day, Uh, if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Again, here Boaz is making an oath before the Lord. And then he encourages her to lie down until morning. Now, uh, we see in verse 1 of chapter 4, Boaz goes down in the morning up to the gate and sat down there. Here in verses 1 through 6, or primarily 1 through 4, actually, we see the proceedings of redeeming, the proceedings of redeeming. Now, in the ancient Near East culture, uh, we, we know that the gate of the city functioned as more of just an entrance for people to come in and to go out, a, a way of commerce or, or for military uh, Uh, army to go in or go out by, but also functioned, as we said last time, for legal proceedings. And it makes sense then that Boaz went to the city gate to settle the matter since the responsibilities revolving around the kinsman redeemer were legal matters in their very essence. So here at the gate, Boaz expects to speak with the close relative concerning this very matter. And in order for court case to proceed... It only remained that Boaz, after meeting with this close relative as he walked by and asking him to sit down, then that Boaz calls upon ten men of the city to stand by, to sit down here. The idea is that they functioned as witnesses in this court proceeding so that everything that happened uh, would have a a legal foundation. There would be testimony or or, uh, an ability for these men to testify of what had taken place therefore making it a legal transaction. So look with me and let's read some of this beginning in chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1, verses 1 through 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he, that is Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me. That I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. Then he said, I will redeem it. Now, uh, we need to understand uh, exactly what Boaz is asking this close relative to do. You may think that the first question that Boaz would have brought up is Will you marry Ruth? seems that uh, the prior context would, would, would provide that you know, kind of question because, of course, uh, the promise that Boaz has made to Ruth is to settle this matter of her request, which was to marry her. But Boaz does not begin there. He begins by, uh, by inciting a question regarding land, which was uh, owned by the deceased husband of Naomi, Elimelech. Now the property then in question is identified as Elimelech's portion. It's his land. Look here at uh, verse verse three. He says, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. This identification of this portion of land to Elimelech is a rooted in the apportionment of the land among the tribes and clans of Israel. We talked about this last time under Joshua's rule and leadership. Uh, we could s- look at passages like Deuteronomy chapter 33 through 21 or Joshua 24, which primarily talks about this apportionment of the land to certain tribes. And then, uh, and, and then within the tribes, certain clans would receive a certain apportionment of, of, of land for their own use to, uh, to harvest and to reap the harvest. So this is the kind of property that is being identified here, land that has been apportioned to the clan of Elimelech, and specifically Elimelech, his own land, to uh, plow the field on and and to plant on. Now, according to Mosaic law, this land was never to leave that specific family. Once it was uh, apportioned to that clan or to that family, then it was to stay there within that family. And the institution of the kinsman redeemer, that very custom, was one of the nation's customs designed to prevent the land from leaving the family. This institution of the kinsman redeemer allowed for this redeemer to purchase back the legal right to use the land. So Boaz reminds then the close relative that this land that was being sold, I put it in Quotations, because I'm going to explain this in a moment, was owned by a brother of theirs. Of course, uh, I, I don't take literally that uh, Boaz is saying that uh, he was the literal brother of this close relative. Now, it doesn't say he wasn't, but um, it doesn't seem to be the case. He's just using it more in a general terminology. It could be an uncle or a, a, the cousin of Elimelech or some even further distant relationship that is just to say he was a close relative he's a brother he's a he's a he's a close family member to them and as we said one of israel's customs then to help prevent land from leaving the family was through the institution of like either boaz or this close relative who could purchase back the right to this land now that may beg the question then how was it that the land was no longer in elimelech's family We know Elimelech deceased, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is no longer in the family. So why then do uh, they need to buy back the right to this land or purchase it back? Well, last time we suppose that it's probable that Elimelech chose to hand over the right to the use of this land to a creditor as a last resort to provide for his family during the time of the famine the very reason for which they had to leave Bethlehem and travel to Moab, perhaps he needed the money to pay for the travels to get to Moab, or perhaps he had even accumulated debt during the time which they were still there during the famine, having to you know uh, pay for uh, the losses or whatever it may be, and so he had to hand over then this land to a creditor in order to pay back this debt or to, uh, to pay for his travels, though a drastic act as it was, because of course uh, the idea of land leaving a family was was preposterous. It was against the law. We can we can assume then that the only reason he did this was because it was necessary to make ends meet for his family. Otherwise, Elimelech would never have considered even doing this. Therefore, then the issue is not necessarily buying or selling of a property but acquiring back property rights, if I can say it that way, in a sense from that creditor, whomever it was given to, someone presumably outside of the family in this case. So, however, since it had fallen into the hands of someone outside the family, the kinsman redeemer would either one of two things, need to wait until the year of jubilee, which then allowed or required, we should say, the creditor to give back the property rights to the family in the year of Jubilee as, as prescribed in Leviticus chapter 25. We read this last time. Or that kinsman redeemer could pay a purchase price to the creditor to gain back the right to the land. Uh, the year of Jubilee, if I'm correct, was every 50 years. So perhaps this was the 28th year of uh, you know, until the year of Jubilee. So that uh, required another 22 years to go until that creditor would have to hand over that right. And so then if the uh, kinsman redeemer wanted to acquire it before then, he would have to pay 22 years, so to speak, of, of compensation to that creditor for his loss of whatever profit he would make on that land during those 22 years. So it was a uh, there could potentially be a substantial financial obligation here if if they wanted to purchase back that right sooner than later. So the close relative, though, weighing his kind of financial obligation, we see uh, that he presumes that it's pro- a profitable investment on his part to pay that purchase price for the land and in turn inherit the right to the land and profit off of it. Therefore, we see he agrees to redeem the land. Look with me at verse number four. He says, And I thought to inform you, that is Boaz, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me. Why? Well, that I may know. In a sense, he's saying, "I, I need to know either you're going to redeem it or not, because if you don't, I will. What is the Redeemer's response? Well, Initially, he says at the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. That is the land, the, the, uh, the rights, the property rights, as it were, to that land. He will pay the purchase price for it. Well, we see that there's uh, more to it than what uh, is perceived from the beginning because in verse 5 we see Boaz, uh, he follows up with this. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. Why? For what purpose? Here it is, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Now, there's quite a bit going on here, and so let's take a moment to try to unravel this and understand what Boaz is implying or, or asking this redeemer, potential redeemer to do. Here we could see see perhaps what is the problem of redeeming in verse 5. When the close relative realizes the responsibility he would have toward Ruth, not just towards redeeming the property rights, he tells Boaz that he cannot redeem the land nor Ruth. Look at verse 6. He says, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Uh, and then that is the implication that he's not referring just to the land because he said he would redeem the land. But now that he knows he has to also redeem Ruth, he says, I can't do it. I can't do either. Lest why? For what reason? Lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Let's uh, then consider for a moment why or he could not, or would not, uh, redeem the land nor Ruth. Now there are a t- uh, four, primarily, options for this closer relative. And I say options. There's four different potentials for redemption. He could do one thing, but not another, and so forth. And, and let me explain what I what I mean. First, uh, the redeemer, while not legally bound, he could accept moral responsibility for Elimelech's estate, that is, uh, the land, and redeem the field. He could also marry Ruth and ensure the well-being of Naomi, the uh, widow of uh, of Elimelech. But as uh, we will see and, and, and mention in a moment, this would be detrimental to his own inheritance. He says it himself. He says it would ruin his own inheritance. uh, Which, by custom, this inheritance would have been passed down to his own son or or a redeemer of his, some close relative, if he didn't have a son uh, who would be heir of it. So that is one potential option, is to redeem both, but he says he cannot. He could have responded by saying that he could redeem the field and pledge to marry Ruth, take up that responsibility. But then he could, in a sense, renege on that pledge to marry Ruth after the transaction was complete. However, this would cause its own problems because by doing so, he would have jeopardized his own reputation and standing in the community as an honorable man who has gone back on his pledge. And taking this kind of oath was a serious matter, and to go back on it would have ruined His reputation, at least in the short-term range, if not the long-term range as well, for the rest of his family. Thirdly, he could have responded by saying something of this sense, that he would reject the offer, thereby ceding the rights to the land and the responsibility of raising up a name uh, of the deceased to Boaz, which is what we see he ends up doing, right? He says, I cannot do it. So, Boaz, you do it. So this is the option that he does take. And this wouldn't necessarily be considered irresponsible. Well, why? Since he knew that Boaz had been interested in the matter and would readily accept the offer if he he rejected it. So in that sense, he, he wasn't necessarily being irresponsible, leaving no one to the task to fulfill it. Rather, he just ceded it to Boaz to take up both responsibilities, to redeem both the land and Ruth. Fourthly, though he didn't do this either, he could have accepted the responsibility of kinsman redeemer and redeem solely the field, but reject the responsibility of marrying Ruth for the purpose of raising up a name for Limelech. He could have therefore redeemed the field and ceded to Boaz the moral obligation and or right to marry Ruth. However, uh, that may sound like a sensible kind of plan to us, something that would serve both uh, the close relative's desire of making a profit off of the property rights in the land, and also would serve in the interest of Boaz, who seemingly desired to marry Ruth. So why not just go that route where both people's interests would be served? Well, this uh, kind of action, or course of action, presents a problem for this close relative's inheritance. He says so himself, does he not? He says, uh, you redeem it. I can't redeem it. Why? Because it would ruin my own inheritance. Well, that asks, that, that causes us to think about this question, well, how could it ruin his inheritance? doesn't seem like it could, right? You know, he would get profit from the land. He has the rights to it, seemingly. And Boaz would get the wife he wants. <laughs> so why not? Well, we we know from the customs that this would doubtless have cost him considerably in terms of respect and honor in the community in a short range. And in long-range terms, could have proved... Uh, economically and financially precarious. Why? Well, this is the reason. If Boaz would raise up a name for Elimelech or in Elimelech's name, meaning if he would marry Ruth, redeeming her and marrying her, and through her bear a son in Elimelech's name for Elimelech's sake and, and even for Malon, that is uh, Ruth's deceased husband, If he were to raise up a son in their name this heir, this son could eventually claim uh, the right to this inheritance. In turn then the kinsman redeemer's entire estate would fall in the line of Elimelech. It would be given to this heir through Ruth. So to, to illustrate, if the kinsman-redeemer would redeem the land, paying the purchase price, which is a financial obligation, he would also have to then, uh, in turn, uh, uh, you know, put forth a substantial amount of financial obligation to caring for the land and for uh, producing crops and harvests from it, and also, in turn, uh, caring, caring for Naomi— the mother-in-law, this would be a huge financial obligation and it would be somewhat okay if in in the end all the inheritance that he receives from the prophet from this land would go to his own son. But that would not be the case if uh, Boaz raised up a son in the name of Elimelech. When this son was old enough, he would inherit all the profit that had come from this property that the kinsman-redeemer had redeemed. That entire estate would go then not to the kinsman-redeemer's son, but to Boaz's son. Therefore, it would be a very precarious uh, thing for the kinsman-redeemer to do. And uh, in turn, like we just said, it would cause his own inheritance to diminish and to be extinguished, extinguished. In reality. And as we said last time, uh, the, the idea of an inheritance being given to the, to the next in line, and that inheritance continuing through that lineage, and the name itself continuing on was a, a huge deal in that culture, in that custom, in that time. And so um, that is why then the kinsman redeemer says that his own inheritance would be ruined, because it would be lost. To that heir through Boaz, so he can't redeem the field and allow Boaz to marry Ruth, because the potential for uh, him to raise up a son who would inherit the land would cause this kinsman redeemer's inheritance to be ruined. Therefore, he has to reject both redeeming the land and Ruth. So then, we see then in verse seven. Uh, the unfolding of the rest of this procedure. We see really the providence in redeeming here, the providence of God, that is. Look at verse 7. It says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off a sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel, a means of confirming or or of of, uh, causing this uh, legal procedure to be firm in its authority and its continuity. Therefore, we see in verse 8, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. In saying that, he's implying that both Boaz would buy the legal rights to land and also in turn uh, take up the moral rights responsibility or obligation to, uh, to marry Ruth. So he took off his sandal, it says in verse 8. In verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. This declaration of Boaz is the culmination of this legal proceeding. It's the kind of final words, the final uh, the final statement concerning this matter. And in this statement, we find uh, the intentions of Boaz, the intentions of Boaz, in that he was concerned for both the name of his close relative, Elimelech, and also for the well-being of Naomi and Ruth to perpetuate the name. Now, there's one more point of interest, though, you may think that uh, that the narrator of Ruth is primarily concerned about the the or excuse me he's primarily concerned about Boaz's interest in Ruth and and, and the well being of Ruth and and Naomi her mother in law, but it seems that the narrator's interest is not merely concerning uh, the the marriage of. Boaz to Ruth. Rather, the reference uh, of kinsman-redeemer is probably the main interest for the narrator. Why? Because his main concern is for the line of Elimelech, not necessarily his land or the welfare of Ruth. Because, as we recall, I hope, the main purpose of the book of Ruth, as we said from the very, very beginning, is is the continuance or the providential uh, uh, preservance of whose line? The preservation of whose line? David's, right? Therefore, uh, the act of fulfilling kinsman-redeemer, that responsibility by Boaz is the narrator's main concern. And we'll see that because of what we'll read Next time, in the last portion of the book of Ruth, where the narrator's primary concern is the genealogy of David and how God has providentially preserved that line through both the redeeming work of Boaz to perpetuate the name and also uh, care for the well being of Ruth and Naomi. Now, as we close, let me read for you. Uh, The remainder of this portion, beginning in verse 11, it says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman, the woman who is coming to your house, like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now, we won't go into the details of the significance of what they're saying in verse 12. We know in turn that though uh, the offspring they're, they're speaking about is the immediate offspring, Obed, they, don't, they didn't understand the ramifications of what they are saying in long-term range, to use what we said earlier, in history. And to them, the future, which would culminate then in the birth of the ultimate Redeemer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and how God has then providentially preserved that Redeemer through the line of David. Now, as we close our time this evening, uh, I want us to just consider this kind of point of application that uh, we may, in some way, kind of uh, unconsciously throw this this close redeemer, who is the potential kinsman redeemer, under the bus because you know why didn't he do it? Why was he so concerned about his own inheritance? Well, we've we've spoken to that matter some that it was of great concern in that day to have your name be perpetuated, but rather look at it in the negative sense, perhaps look through it through this, the, uh, the lens of God's divine providence, where the Lord knew that this, or caused it to be, we should say, that this closer relative could not redeem the land nor Mary Ruth. And in turn, caused or created Boaz's circumstances to be that he was a man who was fitting for that responsibility, a man who was loyal and virtuous and noble in character, and who could properly and without any concern to his own inheritance fulfill that responsibility therefore looking at it in the positive light that God was providentially causing all these events to unfold in a way that only Boaz could successfully redeem the land in Ruth and perpetuate that name. And in, a, in the point of application through all this is that um, As we've said before, we often just chalk things up to coincidence in our lives, don't we? But, as we said before, in that doing so, we have have mitigated, we have prevented many opportunities of giving thanks to God for his providential hand in things. And though we may not know exactly every providential act, we still ought to give thanks every time. Not just chalking it up to coincidence, but give praise that God is continuing to work his divine plan, his decreed will, for all of eternity, which includes your very existence and the things that he has for you while you're here on earth. And so give praise to God that he is divinely working in ways that we can and cannot see in our lives. And he will be pleased with that, just as he was pleased to use Boaz and to bless him and to bless the name of Elimelech and Ruth and Naomi as well in their course of life. Let's pray as we close this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. It's coming to a close now. We thank you for what we can learn. Lord, uh, perhaps tonight's lesson isn't about uh, exactly what we can learn about ourselves but what we can learn about you. That you are the divine, sovereign God who decrees all things, who works all things for your good and your glory. And however we fit into that plan, not necessarily in the same way that Boaz did or Ruth did, but you still have a a divine plan for us and may we be careful to give praise when you when you unfold that plan, when you act in only ways that you can, so you cause us to go the way that you want us to go and to do the kind of things that will further your work in a redemptive way and and also, Lord, in a way that uh, just glorifies and, and, and magnifies your name to all creation, to all creatures. So, Lord, help us to be careful to give you praise in all that you do in our lives, and that your hand is upon us every day. We thank you for that peace that that provides, that you have us under your wing. You have covered us with the, with the corner of your garment as your redeemed people, and we thank you for that. pray all this in your Son's name, our Lord and Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen.